Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Imagine This. I'm Trent. I'm Brashina. And I'm Mackenzie. And today we are talking about Mackenzie's one true love, Shakespeare. That's right, everyone. <laughs> it is a Shakespeare episode today. Because here's the thing. We on here talk a lot about new work we talk about contemporary plays but then we turn around and produce shakespeare in the park every year and what's up with that for a bunch of people that love new work wow that's interesting (laughs) so we're gonna break it down and explain why we do that interesting thing yes yeah so um before we get started Mackenzie's going to take the lead on today's episode a little bit more because she is, in fact, Loki dedicating this whole year of her life to this one man. So, um, Mackenzie, I know it's pretty crazy when you put it like that, right? But that's literally what you're doing. Probably don't say it like that. Okay, Ah. so I'm going to try again. I'll re-intro her. Are you ready, everyone? So, um, yeah, Mackenzie, who is studying diligently the playwright and historical figure that is William Shakespeare. Was that better? Yeah, 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 yeah. Great. I like both intros personally, but I if you like the second one better, then that's fine. So, McKinsey, you just shared a really cool fact just this week with me about one of Shakespeare's most famous plays. And I think that it's a really good example of why we still study and perform him, because the themes are universal and the stories he tells are still relatable hundreds of years later. Um, And so I want you to share that fact as just kind of a kicking off point because I think it's so good and everyone in the whole world should know. Oh my gosh, this is like my new, okay, every once in a while I go through like Hamlet phases and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I could talk about this one thing in Hamlet for like eight hours straight. And so I have my new hyperfixation of the month. So I'm sitting in a seminar, um, literally on Monday, and we're talking about Hamlet and one of, and and Scansion and Iambic Pentameter and the importance of that. And um, one of the girls in my cohort makes a comment about how um, the line to be or not to be, that is the question, does not scan perfectly. If you're talking about Scansion and Iambic Pentameter, um, it does have a feminine ending. um, So it is one syllable too long. It's 11 syllables long of a line. And so 
to very like like basically say so the, it would scan to be or not to be that is the question so in is the extra syllable there and so technically if we're looking at it from a scansion perspective to be or not to be that is the quest in in is not the important syllable there and so the line is like to be or not to be that is the quest like it is our quest as humans to find the understanding of like life and what it is to be or not to be and i just think that that just like adds an entirely new layer of um just nuance and um from an actor's standpoint like activeness within it instead of it just being this very melancholy reflective piece that deals a lot with um suicidal ideation um and that so i just i that that little factoid breathes a lot of new life into it for me and i'm obsessed with it now if you can't tell so yeah that's that's very cool i had never thought about that before that is so cool and that's like that's one of the things if you're not an actor that's one of the things that they teach us actors in our acting school is how to scan iambic <laughs> in acting school yeah you know actors go to acting school, school. <laughs> <In drama> school. <laughs> um, that's that's one of the things that we learned is like how to scan iambic pentameter and a lot of the times like you don't like if you're not focused on shakespeare you don't have time to like go in depth with the scansion so it's just like just scan this and make sure that it's correct mostly and then we'll move on so we don't talk about these things but that is super cool i'd never thought about that before i love that and i, I that. yeah i, I think it's choices. i think it points towards why we still perform shakespeare but and it's for, i mean it's for a number of reasons obviously the themes are universal like that line is about existence I hate to break it to you, but we're still existing. Like, we still have to talk about these things, right? But then, moreover, you know, as actors, rarely do you pay attention to the words as carefully as you do than when you're doing something like Shakespeare for a number of reasons. When you're doing Shakespeare, you have to pay attention to syllables, which you don't have to do in contemporary work for the most part. But you, And then also you're having to pay attention to what it is you're saying because you don't talk like that in real life, right? And so there's just these layers of really paying attention to words, which are how we build stories and build plays. And yet we so often pay so little attention to them. And so like question in terms of vocabulary, like quest is the root of question, right? So it makes sense even just in terms of vocabulary that like when you have a question, it is a quest to find the answer, right? So to be or not to be, that is the question by definition is in fact a quest And yet we don't frame it that way, right? And so by simply putting a meter to that line, suddenly it's infused with new life. And that's the beauty of poetry. And that's the beauty of Shakespeare because it is poetry on the page to be performed, which is just more layers than you often get in contemporary work.
I honestly think that's why we always have this question of why is Shakespeare still being produced? Because we've seen so many flat performances where the actors do not understand where they're what they're saying or like the director Ooh. didn't understand what the piece <laughs> was saying or you know somewhere along the way somebody didn't understand something and so something just isn't working and then you're just sitting there for if it's a traditional Shakespeare play you're sitting there for like two to three hours just going why are they talking and talking and talking <laughs> so like I think that's one of the reasons we still have this question come up. I think that Shakespeare does have a lot of merit today. I mean, the thread of Shakespeare through our through drama history is immense. Like mm-hmm. you can pull this thread and find these themes in damn near any contemporary work that we have going on today. Um, and I I think that's cool. I think that's very interesting. But we've kind of lost why Shakespeare is interesting. So seeing different interpretations of Shakespeare is actually really refreshing because then you get to like see a modern spin to different things. Like I love the interpretations of Shakespeare that put it in a modern context where like everybody's talking in this, you know, old timey language. It's not archaic technically, but what we call it, you know, yeah, old, it's like early modern. Yeah, we call it old English, but it's actually early modern. Um, but they're talking in this way, and then they're all in like modern dress. I think is so interesting. I think that's so cool. And so, perfect segue because if you know anything about us in this podcast, there's no way we're like out here doing period Shakespeare, right? <laughs> and so, what is the difference then? Between doing, for example, period Shakespeare, doing what Rashid is describing, which is an interpretation of Shakespeare for a particular production. How is a production team putting together this play in a new package so that people respond to it in a new and exciting way? Mm -hmm. And then there's like this other step that some people will adapt a work into some some other new work and so Mackenzie turning back to you you're gonna have the answers to all of our questions today um what is the difference and where do you draw the lines between these different types of approaching Shakespeare when you're producing yeah okay well for starters I think there is a time and place for original practice Shakespeare I think it serves as a very good educational thing for us to understand early modern theater and that so like I think that there is a time and place for early for original practice Shakespeare okay Uh, and I'm I'm actually really glad you said that before we get into what we tend to talk about because we often talk in like broad strokes Mm -hmm. and like for Brashina and I like original practice Shakespeare is like not going to particularly be our jam and that's okay but (laughs) not unless I'm at the globe in (laughs) London seeing it on that stage okay then it would be fair right but here we (laughs) I want you to talk about like what is the time and place? I, I know you said educationally, but why is that important? I, I'd love to hear more about like, why should we still in some cases, in some places with certain scripts, see Shakespeare performed as originally intended? What does that do for an audience? 
Yeah. Okay. So this actually brings up like a whole, <clears throat> the whole thing about the cultural war. That's culture war. Wow. That is happening at the globe right now, because when the globe was conceived by Sam Wanamaker in the 20th century, the Shakespeare's globe, obviously the one that is London today is not the original there. This is the third iteration of the globe. You didn't know that fun fact. Um, but the globe that exists today on South Bank in London, um, was opened in 1997 and it was originally conceived to be an experiment in recreating early modern theater practices and understanding what early modern theater would have looked like and it went through a 15 year experiment of that it was meant to be a test lab and a research facility to understand that better um because you know theater history records are very different in a lot of cases than like other historical records because a lot of our records about theater history are very subjective or missing or just a whole variety of things that they're not quite as standardized as mm -hmm. uh, like political or religious historical documents and stuff like that. And so as an actor, I also think it's important for us to understand where theater has come from. We study Greek theater, we study Greek tragedy, we study Roman tragedy, we study Commedia dell'arte. I think it's important that we understand early modern theater because early modern theater practices informed the evolution of theater to what it is today, right? Okay. Moving on from after the 15-year um, experiment that happened at the Globe, Mark Rylance finished his term as artistic director and the Globe got a new artistic director and it, it began to evolve more so into what it is today. It is, today the Globe is a little bit less focused on original practice. We handled that experiment. We learned so much and that, and so now the Globe is taking it upon itself, especially under the direction of <clears throat> the current artistic director, Michelle Terry, to continue to produce inventive and original and progressive Shakespeare productions um, that explore Shakespeare in different contexts and, and in diverse contexts as well, and to make it more accessible and stuff. And so there has been a lot of, a lot of backlash against this at the Globe because a lot of people originally were like, no, the Globe is a sacred thing, but we're going to put on original practice, early modern dress Shakespeare, and we're not going to mess with that. This is our English tradition. And like, no. And so there was a big debate over like, would the Globe become like Disneyfied in a sense? We, there's, there's like scholarly articles on this. And so and it actually, a lot of it compares to um, a play called The America Play by, is it Susan Laurie Parks? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, a lot of discussion about the, if, the America play. If you haven't read the America play, brilliant play, you should read it. But it discusses the idea. One of the ideas it discusses is um, theme park theater or theater that is mm -hmm. disnified yes. and isn't is lacking in artistry. And so the Globe today is not doing strictly all original practice. They actually very do scarce original practice productions. It is all very new and artistic and inventive, which I'm personally a fan of, however, the Globe has been under a lot of fire from the public for these decisions since the end of Mark Rylance's term. Um, and so, yes, that is the context of why we need original practice Shakespeare. I, I mean, I know that this isn't long. what the episode is about, but I would say that, like, I, I don't take issue with the Globe deciding to do fewer original type productions because I think yeah. that again like you said it was an experiment 
And Mm -hmm. they learned a lot from the experiment about like how Shakespeare would have been produced. And that is now like in our textbooks and that's, you know, going into classrooms for actors. But I don't actually think that serves the public audience very well, especially because like you then have to bank on people like coming to your theater from across the globe and that's just not super realistic like let's be honest once you've seen an original production of Shakespeare then you can check that off the list like you you don't necessarily need to see another one so it would I mean there's a lot of factors that go into it but like I think that is a very smart decision to decide to reinterpret Shakespeare because now we've learned how he would have originally done it. Now it's time to look at, okay, what are some of the ways that we can do it in a modern context? I, I think that's why um, interpretations and adaptations of Shakespeare are so important because if we want to, my, this is part of my issue with the Western canon is that a lot of people just want to say it's part of the canon and they don't actually want to defend it. And in order to defend it, you have to be able to say like, this is exactly why we do it. With Shakespeare, I can see exactly why we do it because I've seen some modern adaptations and modern interpretations that it's still very relevant. I think Romeo and Juliet is still kind of a relevant story, especially with like the divisions that we have in society, like as a whole. I think that there is some merit there. However, if you just look at me and tell me, well, Romeo and Juliet is important to the Western canon, I will laugh in your face because that's yeah. not a good reason to keep doing Shakespeare. It's a good reason well, if it continues to like have merit. And but Not to get bogged down, but that's a problem for a number of reasons, right? Because first of all, if Romeo and Juliet, to use your example, is important simply because it's important, it also denies the tradition of stories that it was built upon. Mm-hmm. Romeo and Juliet is not the first story that we find no. of star-crossed Pure lovers. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just not, right? You look back to Greek, and frankly, the stories that we tend to ignore the most are you look at like the ancient Near East, because we don't have an Eastern canon, do we? I love that you use the term Western canon, yeah. because it's true. And when we don't understand the tradition from which these Western canon pieces arrive, that's when we start to get a really Anglo-centric perspective of what theater and storytelling is, and it really becomes a problem really quickly. I also think that any time you are willing to say that something is part of a canon, you have to recognize, it's to me the same reason that you put something in a season when you're choosing what shows you show to people. What does it contribute? You know, what does this piece contribute to the conversation? Or at the very least, what did it contribute historically, right? I'm willing to acknowledge some a piece's existence in the canon, even if I'm not willing to produce it, if you can point to what difference it made at the time. Even if it's not something that's aged well, I'm like, okay, it can be canon if it made a valuable contribution, not just because it was famous or the author was famous, but what did it do? What does it add now? Mm -hmm. And so to McKinsey's conversation about the globe, I think that what Michelle Terry is trying to do is say, we've learned so much about Shakespeare, but why do we still perform it, right? Why are these stories still relevant to us? Because... If it stays only original practice all the time, it does 
experience this Disneyfication of art because it's little more than a really high class Renaissance fair if you're not yeah. careful. Yeah. So Mackenzie, walk us now through an interpretation of Shakespeare versus an adaptation of Shakespeare because those are the next two levels that we haven't quite hit on yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would say an interpretation is a production of Shakespeare that is pretty true to the text that we have of it that maybe we'll cut a few lines here or there for the sake of time or like cast doubling for the sake of like cast size. But generally speaking, it stays very truthful to an iteration of the text that we have of it. It's it's very traditional, very standard. However, it's not done in original practice. So like it could be all in modern dress. Um, and so I think that's a lot of the Shakespeare that um, a lot of people are exposed to. I think that, yeah, that's, that's like, if you're going to see a, a Shakespeare production, I would say a majority of the time, you're probably seeing that versus an adaptation um, because an adaptation tends to have done a little bit more work with the text and been a little bit more intentional with the cutting um, and the casting and the concept in order to use the story and the characters that Shakespeare wrote but spin it in a way to get maybe a different point across and maybe to like maybe highlight a different underlying theme. Like I've seen a production of Hamlet where they've definitely emphasized the women in it a lot more than a traditional Hamlet. Um, and so I, I think there's like a scale of adaptations, right? Like there, there's an adaptation of Macbeth by Erica Schmidt called Macbeth that has done a significant amount of cutting to the text and has like added a lot of modern stuff. And so it's an adaptation about young schoolgirls who get a little bit too invested in this makeshift production Macbeth that they're putting on and they become intoxicated with the power and the fantasy of it. Um, and so that is very much an adaptation because it is very clearly a very intentional and respectful departure from the text in certain ways, but it uses the text to tell a different story versus um, just like a modern dress or not even a modern dress, but like a 1920s dress or a 1960s dress production of Much Ado About Nothing or something like that, for example. Mm-hmm. That Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so our, our next episode, brief foreshadowing, we're going to dig even more into Shakespeare and really talk through some of our favorite examples of interpretations and adaptations. But just... Um, you know, Mackenzie gave a really great example of an adaptation. Macbeth is a fabulous adaptation of Macbeth. The text is the same, and yet the story feels so fresh and different and interesting. And so it's almost like Macbeth, Shakespeare's work, became a vehicle for this writer this adapter to tell a new story with right it's still Macbeth and yet it's also really not right and I think that's the beauty of an adaptation whereas for our Shakespeare in the Park last year um we did Romeo and Juliet that's probably why it was on Brashina Nanez's brain is because that's the most recent Shakespeare that we've personally worked on um and Mackenzie as well Mackenzie was Juliet shout out she was amazing and Brashina was Mercutio um it was fantastic anyway But 
an interpretation is what we did there, right? We dressed 1960s, which was fabulous and fun. The color scheme was reds and blues, and it was strong. But the idea was that these two families were religious. So the conflict was not socioeconomic or like just far back families feuding. It was Protestant Montagues and Catholic Capulets who couldn't agree on religious ideology. And so then Friar Lawrence, instead of being a friar, was actually a secular figure. So the only person in the show calling for peace was the one who was not part of a religious practice, which really stayed true to the text. We didn't change anything. We cut some characters out just to keep it tight because that's what we wanted it to look like. But we didn't change the text. We didn't adapt it into a new story. It was still Romeo and Juliet, just as you know it, but with a different idea behind why the story is taking place and who these people are. And I think that's maybe the difference. As an adaptation, the story almost becomes a vehicle for a new story, whereas an interpretation, you're just reimagining the place and time and people so that it so that the message you believe is most important about the show comes across more clearly to a modern audience. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I honestly feel like adaptations come when somebody's trying to do an interpretation. My mic fell. Uh, <laughs> um, I feel like they come when somebody's trying to do an interpretation and realizes this isn't going to do everything I need it to do, so I need to change some things. And then you get some really interesting work out of like really good adaptations. Like that's, I'm more partial to adaptations of Shakespeare because I think that I like modern language when I'm watching Shakespeare. And we've seen a lot of, I, I would argue that like our generation especially has grown up with a lot of adaptations of Shakespeare, whether we knew them or not. <laughs> like I can think of a Zack and Cody episode where they just remade Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> <laughs> or she's and, the man. <laughs> I love she's the man. Well, even the number of but, Disney movies that are just Shakespeare but animals. Yeah, like literally <laughs> there's so many like adaptations have served us so well because they get the story across to us and then we're like, "Oh, we know that story." So then when we see it in like a traditional Shakespeare setting, we're like, "Oh, I know that." Mostly, kind of. So, yeah. What what would you add to this conversation, Mackenzie, just in terms of why we continue to interpret, why we continue to adapt, um, why you're choosing to spend this year of your life studying this particular writer. Yeah, um, this is just such a loaded answer. Um, but I just, I, I think that there's a there's there's a Shakespeare scholar named Harold Bloom who like you either love him or you hate him but like regardless of your feelings on him he wrote a book called Shakespeare the Invention of the Human um in which he pretty much discusses like how Shakespeare pretty much invented the fully developed human being on the stage mm. um and how like a lot of the characters that came before him from all of his contemporaries and even like the precursors of drama um are very like two-dimensional or stock characters or like lack emotional depth and nuance and so 
Shakespeare's ability to write humans for the stage is really quite remarkable. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons. Another reason why is I think that his ability to capture the human experience and tell stories about what it is to be a human have um, withstood the test of time in ways that a lot of his contemporaries plays have not. Like we, there, we can relate things in almost every single Shakespeare play to modern life, like whether it be a character or like a specific plot point that happens or an idea or a theme. I just think that they're quite universal and that they are quite still relevant today because because of how he is able to write humanity. Um, and I think that his poetry is unmatched. And if you've read a lot of other early modern drama, yes, there are some standout ones like Duchess of Malfi by Don Webster is phenomenal. Christopher Marlowe's um, Dr. Faustus is brilliant. And there's like other really, really wonderful plays. However, if you have read a lot of early modern drama, you will very quickly pick up on why Shakespeare's work is produced a lot more than some of the other guys because it's yeah. just yeah Shakespeare is superior for a number <laughs> of reasons um but yeah no I just think that his ability to tell stories is just really it, it, it's genre defying mm. almost and it, it was it was a cultural reset if you will mm. um and yeah yeah no I'm I'm glad we had that to wrap up with because I think that it's important to note the impact that Shakespeare has had on this craft and on this industry and continues to have. Um, every year there's published a list of most produced plays um, and they don't include Shakespeare on the list because otherwise it would just be Shakespeare on there all the time because theaters continue to produce him time and time again and you know in some level of fairness it's partly because it's free right I mean it's public yeah. domain and but there's also s such creative excitement around it because you can do with the text what you want you can create a new story you can do something that people recognize but in a way they haven't seen it's creatively enticing I think to produce Shakespeare um, it's hard to do it well and I think that people underestimate the work that it takes to do Shakespeare because it's just as much if not more than when you do contemporary work mm -hmm. if you're trying to put a spin on it that really tracks with the original text and yet elevates it um, it's it's quite the task but I do think to Mackenzie's point it's one worth doing it is and it's it's also hard as an actor, like we talk about how dense the text is for Shakespeare all the time. And that's very difficult for actors. Not all actors can do it, but the actors who can and can like really bring Shakespeare to life. That's, that's a skill. That's a very mm. special skill. And I think we kind of discount that because we do see so many Shakespeare adaptations, like in the acting world, either you love it or you hate it. Um, and very few people fall on the in-between of that. So it, it is definitely like a skill. It's Shakespeare is hard <laughs> and we forget that a lot of the time. So it's always nice to revisit and be like, oh, yeah, this is this is work. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so our next episode, we're going to dig into some of our favorite adaptations and interpretations and why they work and why they're important and I think it will further illuminate the ways in which 
these early modern plays still can speak to our contemporary circumstance. And I think that this is not exclusive to Shakespeare. Mackenzie mentioned some other early modern plays. We mentioned going as far back as Greek tragedy. I mean, these are plays that can continue to have a life if we let them. Mm-hmm. Because they are now in the public domain, you can take some creative liberties. You want to be faithful to the text and to the author's intent and not, you know, deliver a new story. However, you can tell a different story that's also the same story. And that's the beauty of the way that you can interpret these texts. So join us again next week so that you can join in on that conversation. Mackenzie, tell us where they can find us. Yeah, you can find us on Instagram at Imagine This Theater Pod Theater with an R E or at Wild Imaginings Waco, wildimaginingswaco.com, or through our fabulous producers, Rogue Media Networks. And once again, thank you for joining us to Shakespeareanly today. Imagine this. <laughs> Shakespeareanly. That was, that was a choice of language.